So something strange happens when you become a parent. At least it did for me. A few things were strange that, that changed when I became a parent, and mainly like my perspective on things, opinions that I held, or things that I said I'd never do, or that kind of thing. For instance, um, one of the things that changed a lot is I used to see, like we all see in Target or Walmart, the, the, the parents struggling with their kids, like, hey, Johnny, get over here, you know, and, and then like maybe yelling at them in the store, and I used to judge hard when I saw that before I had kids, and then once I had kids, I see that in, the, in Target, or I'm like, respect, I, I get it, I've been there, because we've all been there, you know, that's one of the things that changes once you become a parent. Another thing that, that changed when I became a parent was my perspective on little kids' con concerts. I did not understand, like, what were those about? Why did they even exist? But let's just be honest, they're horrible. There, there's just no way around it. But the thing is, once you have a kid, and I, I, I never knew why they even do this, like, wait till they're older and they can actually play the flute, and then put a flute in their hands. But no, we put flutes in their hands way too early. And I found out why once I had kids, I just started geeking out. Like any concert that my, my kids put on, I am like, I'm not going to miss that. And not only that, when I'm there, I'm like, I could do this all day, every day. I just watch my kid kind of, you know, like do this up on stage and, <laughs> and just like, I just geek out about that. And I don't know why, but it's just something that happens. Again, if you don't have kids, like you might not understand, you might not understand until you have kids, but that's one of the things that changed for me when I became a parent. There's a lot, actually a lot of things that you start geeking out about, like the artwork that they bring home and that kind of stuff, and you, you like make this stack, a big pile of things that they made, and like, what am I going to do with this, you know, and, but you don't want to get rid of it and that kind of stuff, but uh, one of the things that I found out that I, I geek out the most about, and it's, again, it's something I didn't understand at all when, before I was a parent, was when people would show their, a picture of their kids, and, and everybody likes to show pictures of their kids, that one I kind of understood, I kind of understood, but when the, their kid, they're like, and look, they, they're like, all their arms are around each other, and they like, they like each other, you know, and they geek out about a picture of like, you know, we, we got a good picture of them together, and they're not like killing each other, and this is awesome. Another one that I never understood, that I understand now, is, is like parents that, of adult children, that now their adult children are like roommates, and they're like, yeah, like they went to college here and they went to college there or whatever. They got this job here and then they came back to Denver. And you know what? They're actually like roommates. Like they get along. They like to hang out. I never understood that, why that was such a big deal until I started having kids. But there's just something about watching my kids that I geek out on now when they get along. I'm talking about that one time when they got along, you know, like, like, like it's, it's not always, but like that, those precious moments where like recently um, my oldest, my youngest couldn't sleep and, and my oldest and, and Christine are like, oh, the youngest can never sleep and that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden things quieted down and then we realized that the, our oldest had gone in and snuck into her, the youngest room and started to like sing to her. And then, of course, like, they were, like, throwing poop at each other, and, and, you know, like, the next day, they're like, no, you're poking me. No, I'm not touching you. No, you're touching me. You know, like, there was that whole thing. Like, that's, don't get our family wrong. But, but those moments, I can't, I can't explain why, but that is, like, one of the most precious things to me. And I hope, if, like, if you're a parent, you probably have the same hopes and dreams of, like, that maybe in the future that they would continue to care for each other and be close and that kind of stuff. 
In the next few weeks, we'll be discussing a dream that I believe that God has for us. Um, this is, we're, we're in a series called The Big Three. I'll explain what that means at the end of the sermon. But it, it's, there's, let's, let's back up a second. Did you know that God has dreams for your life? That just kind of like, like a good parent, there's things that he longs for us to have. Um, I wrote some of them down. I think he has dreams for us to, to learn and grow. Dreams for us to discover and explore what he has made. To experience goodness and, and beauty. To try new things. To be filled with a sense of awe and wonder. I think um, he has a, a dream for us to find a sense of calling in life. Um, I think he has a dream for us to feel powerful and creative or, or intelligent, for there to be times in our lives where we're at the top of something, that we're the best at something. I think he has dreams for us to grow in character and in integrity, of course. And then, of course, ultimately, I think that God has a dream for us to be connected with him in a way that, that's deep and meaningful. And, and as Christians, we believe that that connection comes through his son, and that's why he sent his son, so we could be connected to him. And, and that he has this dream of, this, of us experiencing a thrill of knowing the God of the universe. And worshiping him with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Obviously, like if you've been in church for very long, you probably know, like, God has that dream for us. I think God has a lot of dreams for us. Just like a good parent has a lot of dreams for their kids things that they hope that they'll step into in the future or experience in the future, fullness of life, depth, joy. And as a result of that, I believe that God, that one of the biggest dreams that God has for our lives is that we would be deeply connected with one another, that our lives would be structured in such a way that, yes, we work, Yes, we, we go on vacation. Yes, we do all of these things, and we experience him, and we grow, and we learn. But in the midst of that, maybe even a thread of theme throughout that is this, in the meanwhile, this authentic, sincere connection between each other, between his kids. And I think when that happens, when you and I connect Deeply, like, like and, and form a bond that could be described by being like tight-knit or even maybe intimate. That when that happens, when God watches his kids do that, he geeks out a little bit. Like, like something that, that, he, that makes him very, very happy. And honestly, like, like. There's this, this one verse where, um, there's lots of verses around this. We'll look at a, one of them in the very beginning today. But Jesus, when he was about to, to be crucified, in the Gospel of John, he records, John records a prayer that Jesus prays. And he, he prays it to the Father, and he prays for his disciples, and he prays for the world. And he even prays for us. And his prayer, his, you know, his prayer for us is that we would be one. As he is one. He says, Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. That, that in the fullness of life, they would experience a connection with each other like the connection that you and I have. That's one of God's biggest dreams for us. 
but <laughs> it's harder to do that than it seems, right? Like, like what, friendship is, like sincere friendship, it's hard sometimes. It's hard to keep up with people. It's hard to like, oh yeah, like you get to the end of the day and you did all the things on your list to do. You got all the stuff done that was required of you, or maybe you didn't, and you still didn't connect with the people around us. There's a, there's a lot of writing around this right now about the nature. Never has there been more people on this planet, right? Seven billion, seven and a half billion people. Not only that, never have we been so connected or uh, have the ability to connect with each other in multiple ways through globalization, through uh, technology, through social media. We can know and network with a lot of different people and yet uh, researchers are writing a lot about crowded loneliness. This idea of never have we had more people around us and never has, and, and, and there's writings about it in the United States, and never on, on how lonely we are in comparison to past generations. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that ironic? And the point is, is like if you and I aren't careful, <laughs> we can be lonely in a crowd. In a crowd. Just this is a crowd right here. We can come and go and we can do our life. Yeah, like I went to church, but we didn't connect with one another. And when that, that you can be well networked, you can be very plugged in, and you can still feel very left out, right? Um, still feel like there's something missing. But we'll find out through the series that God's design, His dream for us, is not that, it's much different. He wants us to experience unity, bonds that are tight, connections that are deep, relationships that are even intimate. And here's the reason why. Here's what we're going to find out through this series. I'm just going to put it right here in, in the beginning. To quote the ever-illustrious and ever-quotable Jake the Drummer. This is, this is something he preached on last summer. And the big idea of his sermon was God brings life to us through us. That God loves to bring life to us through us. That one of the favorite, another way you could say it is one of the, God's favorite ways to bring life into your life, life to his children, is through his other children. It's how he designed it. It's one of his favorite ways to, to give direction, to, to bring healing, to instill a sense of worth to answer prayer, and I believe even to reveal himself. It's so interesting to think about that, isn't it? A God who's right now invisible. I think one of the favorite ways for him to reveal himself to us is through us. And that's really the big idea. I think that's the big idea for this series, is God brings life to us through us. And this is important. This is important to recognize because um, it's, it's, it's easy to miss. I think I'll just leave it at that. It, it, it's easy for us to miss this. But when it happens, I think that God geeks out when we deeply connect with one another. And I believe that he's geeked out about that from the very beginning. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is the very first words of the, what we call the Old Testament in Genesis. And, and if you're familiar with the story, you know like he's, he's hovering over the, the, the waters, the deep and the darkness. And he says, he speaks. He creates by speaking. He says, let there be light. And there was light. And it, it goes on and says, he, he made light and he saw that the light was, you remember what it is? Good. And then he makes land. He separates the water from the land and he saw that that was good. Then he covered the land with vegetation. He's like, whoa, that's cool. All the, you know, like the rainforests and the deserts and all these different ecosystems and stuff like that. And he saw that that was good. Then he made the waters teem with fish. My favorite animal. <laughs> I wish I was there that day. That would have been really fun. With a, with a fly rod, of course. <laughs> and, a, and a spear. I just picked up spear fishing. No big deal. Um, and then he filled the sky with birds. Imagine what that would have been like to see. Then he, create, he made creatures to roam and cover the land, livestock, and, you know, like creepy crawlies and all of these cool animals that you and I enjoy, and he saw that they were good. And then he said this, Genesis goes on to say this in verse 26, chapter 1, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and over the livestock and, and the wild animals. And in other words, like, there's, you know, I, I've made all of these things and it's cool and they've separated this. There's just kind of stair-stepping, you know, almost a stair-stepping in complexity in creating the world, right? Until he, he creates this being that is to, to rule over, to be in charge of, to be above in some senses. Not that we're better, but we're just more intelligent, that we're more creative, that let, let them rule over the, the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And see, you know what's fascinating? We're, we're still, this is the very first chapter of the Bible. And in the very first chapter, we find some of the most important insights into who God is <clears throat> and ultimately into who we are as well. To start, there's this phrase that, that as a kid is always like, I didn't understand. It's like, let us make mankind in our image. And I'm like, who's he talking about? <laughs> you know, like, because I always grew up learning that God was one. And rightfully so, but like, let us make mankind in our image. And here, the Christians over time have, have come to, to recognize this in Genesis as well as other things, a lot of other things throughout Scripture. That this is the start of, of, of what we call Trinitarian theology. This is, this is the start of the Trinity. Let us, like the, in the beginning of time, God was there in three persons. And if you, if you grew up in church, maybe you're familiar with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And honestly, like, the Trinity is really hard to understand. Like, I, I'm going to explain it a little bit here today, and I'm not going to do it justice. 
there's all sorts of cool ways to like think about it. Like I've even heard it said, like like you know, like water has three different um, states properties. Thank you, thank you. Um, and you know, like you got gas, you got liquid, you got solid. Likewise, and that's all the same substance. Likewise, God in three persons is one person. You know, it's one God. And that's, that's good, but there's actually, like, there's, there's problems with that. Like, it breaks down at some point in time. It's, this is a beautiful and mysterious part of our Christian faith. And if you wrestle with it, that's okay. That the Trinity, like, basically over time, Christians have seen, like, taken what we've known and what, we come, what we've been made known about God, and the best that we can describe it is it's God the Father. God is, is one, one person in three parts. God the Father. God the Son and God the Spirit. God the Father, of course, is the, 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 the God of the universe, the creator of all things. And then there's God the Son who is revealed in Jesus Christ, the God-man Jesus. And we, we, we believe that Jesus was a much more than just a human because of what he said and what he did. He said things like, I and the Father are one. <laughs> Um, he said things like, before Abraham existed, this guy that lived 2,000 years before Jesus is like, before Abraham was, I am. Like, I was there. And uh, there's at the end, right at the end, as he's leaving the, the world, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. <laughs> How can anyone possess that who is not God himself? And then, his, and then his friends would write about him later, and it's like, John would write, he's like, you know, like, in the beginning, he, John would tie it back to this verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens, in Genesis 1-1, the very first words of John's gospel is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was actually God. I know, it's trippy, I just walked around this with this guy for three years, and I was walking, I, I do believe I was walking with God. It's a strong statement. Another Paul would write that, that in Christ we'd see the invisible God, that, that through things, through him, all things were made that have been made. We believe that Jesus was the ever begotten son, so that he's been the son for forever, but he's, he's also been God forever. I know, this is crazy stuff, but it's this, it's this depth, and this is, we shouldn't be surprised by this depth, and it might be difficult to understand an infinite God, Right? And we don't believe these things just because, they, you know, just because. We believe there's reason to. We believe that the inspired word of God has revealed to us who God is through his son. And that through him everything was made. That, that Jesus was a part of creation. That, that in the beginning, Jesus was there saying, let us make mankind in our image. And then, of course, there's the spirit, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. Who uh, the word spirit in both Greek and Hebrew is the same word for breath or for wind. It's all the same word. Spirit, breath, and wind is all the same word. Ruha in Hebrew and pneuma in Greek. And in, in the, we see this. We see the spirit of God. You see that in the very first use, the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Where this gets beautiful and this where it gets important for our conversation today is, have you ever thought about, like, what did God do before he created this? You know, like, if God is eternally that way, like, is he bored? <laughs> no. Because God, because 
God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son had their community. They had this perfect, um, there's this word, I'm going to bust some knowledge on you this morning. There's this word in, um, in, in theology called perichoresis. And it's the idea of the, 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 the Trinity dancing eternally and enjoying himself. It's, it's beautiful. It's mysterious. But it kind of makes sense when you come to Genesis and it says, let us make mankind in our image. That in a sense, like, we're not just going to make him and her intelligent. We're not just going to make them creative. We're going to make them deeply relational. Where, where connection with each other, like connection with us, is important. And that's a huge part of being created in the image of God, which is a phrase here that's important to Jewish theology as well as Christian theology. That God, when he made us, that it was, it was a little bit different than everything else that he had made. That when he made us, he didn't just, when he made birds, when he made water, when he made all of these things, that you can see God's creativity in that. But when he created us, you can see his literal thumbprint on us. And there was evening and there was morning. And that was the end of that day. And, and God saw that it was very You see how this is so important? Let, let's, let's continue. Where am I? I am verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see a little bit of poetry there. It's beautiful. He saw it was very good. Verse 15, then the Lord took the man, and this, this is, so, so he talks about and male and female, he created them, like he's like, oh, but don't, let, let me not get ahead of myself. First I created the man, and, and, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any of the tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly Die. So in the beginning, there was only one rule. I don't, I don't want you to eat this tree. You can, you can do anything you want, just don't eat from the, this tree. And then verse 18, after he says about the tree, he says this phrase. The Lord said, and it is what? Not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. There's a problem in paradise. So there's something that's not good. Verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Which is, dude, that is like the coolest thing in the world. Like, if you like animals at all, this is like a dream. Like, just like, oh my gosh, what is that? I think I'll call it an aardvark. You know, what is that? You know, like... I have a platypus, you know, like just all of these crazy looking things. He gets to, to interact with them. And, and here, see, here's the thing. Here's the, oh, God. Can I geek out for just a second? God, God created the world in, in a perfect way, like in perfection. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. It worked. Like, like, and we see some of that. Like even, even though things are bad in the world, you still see those beautiful sunsets. You see that, that gorgeous. He created this beautiful world, but he created it 
perfectly incomplete. He made, it, he made it perfectly, but he made it so that there was a little bit left undone, like the animals were not yet named. He made it, he made it like there was raw land that needed to be tilled, so, and like, like Adam could go find seeds from the fruit he really liked and plant a bunch of it so he could get more. He worked the land. He could shape it. He could create like his creator. That's part of what it means to be the image of God is for us to interact with creation. And yes, in a sense, the, the animals get to do that. They do some pretty creative stuff, things that would blow our minds, right? But it's different. The level, the intensity, the, the, the intentionality that we, could, that we can put into it, God made that for us. He made the world complete, perfect, but perfectly incomplete. And we're going to see one of these perfectly incomplete, in, in, perfect incompletions here in a second. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds and the sky and all the wild animals. <laughs> you know, Discovery Channel's got nothing on this. <laughs> and then it says this, but, for, but, but, there's a but here. So this is the first but in the Bible. But, that sounded weird. Pretend I didn't say that. But. For Adam, no suitable helper was found. The problem is stated again. Everybody, catch this. He brought all the animals to him in pairs or whatever, you know, like, and they had counterparts. Everything in creation had a counterpart, including God himself in himself. But Adam didn't. And that was not good. Let me read a quote. This is from John Ortberg. And I remember the first time I read this, and I, was, I kind of freaked out a little bit because I was like, this is so true. John Ortberg says this in his book, Everybody's Normal. What is striking is that the fall has not occurred. He's talking about this verse that we just read, these verses. What is striking is that the fall has not yet occurred. There is no sin, the fall, we call the fall when sin entered the world. There is no sin, no disobedience, nothing to mar the relationship between God and man. The human being, Adam, is in, the state, in a state of perfect intimacy with God. Each word he and God speak with each other is filled with closeness and joy. He walks with God in the garden in the cool of the day. He is known and loved to his core to the core of his being by his omniscient, which means all-knowing, that this being knows everything about Adam, everything about the world, this omniscient, love-filled creator. Yet the word that God uses to describe him is alone. And God says that this aloneness is not good. And then he makes this conclusion. Apparently, according to the writer of Genesis, God creates inside this man a kind of human-shaped void that God himself will not fill. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, if you grew up in church, you probably heard the phrase, a God-shaped hole in our hearts that everybody, like, no matter what they have, no matter what they've accomplished, no matter what they, they have achieved in life, without God, there's always a hole in our hearts. I think it was Blaise Pascal that actually coined that, that imagery. 
that there's a, there's a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and we need to fill that. The only way to fill that is with God. John Ortberg makes the, the, the observation that based on this, this verse, this idea that it's not, that, that, that Adam had a human-shaped hole in his heart. He had everything he needed, both physically, even in a sense spiritually, and yet there's something spiritually missing because he didn't have another human to connect with. Now listen, I want, I want to be clear on something. I believe that this is another point in time where God created something perfectly incomplete. God is enough for, for us. He is enough for us, but he created it in such a way that he's like, I will not fulfill that hole in their hearts. I refuse to because I want them to connect and fill that hole with each other. It's part of his design. It's what I'm trying to get us to see. It's part of his design for us in life is to be connected with each other. It's a big deal. It was a big deal even before sin entered the world. So God causes Adam to go into a deep sleep, and he takes a, a rib from Adam, and he, and he forms Eve out of it. It's kind of this beautiful imagery. Brings, brings Eve to Adam. Another instance that would be cool to watch. I, I hope there's reruns in heaven. Nick at night, you know, where you get to see all of the things that happen. Verse 23, Genesis 2:23. the man said, looking at Eve, he says, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This is my counterpart. <laughs> she shall be called woman, for she is taken out of man. And now there's a sense of completion in creation. You see how God wants to bring life to us, through us? You see how he brought life to Adam through Eve? And I don't believe that's just a romantic thing. I don't believe it's just a sexual thing. I think it's a human thing. That is why the man is to leave, verse 24, that is why the man is to leave his father and mother and he's united with his wife and they become one flesh. And then it says this. I love, I love Genesis. I love this. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Which is like, like, I have like dreams all the time of being naked, like right here, like preaching up front. I'm like, oh shoot, I only wore my boxers today. Like, you know, and, and I'm ashamed in my dream. You know, maybe you've had similar dreams. Um, there's this sense of Adam and Eve have this idea of like, I, I am fully seen by you and you are fully known by me and that is okay. That's good. There's no shame. I'm not afraid of you seeing me for who I am. Isn't it interesting? And, and it, oh, this is fascinating. In the next chapter, the very next chapter, they eat the fruit. And what is the first thing that they do? They cover themselves. They, they, they sew together fig leaves, Genesis says, and cover themselves. And they begin to hide not only from God, but they're hiding from each other. <laughs> Because that's what sin does, right? When I do something, when I tell a lie, 
and, and I, don't, I, don't want any, I don't want you to know about that, so I make coverings for myself. And what that does is it puts things in between you and I, and it breaks the relationship. That's why we tell our kids, hey, there's a lot of things you can do, and we'll always love you, of course. But lying is a pretty big one because it breaks trust. It puts something between you and I. And isn't that fascinating? The very first thing that they do is they, they cover themselves and they hide from God, they hide from each other, and then if you know the story, you know it's all downhill from there, too. God comes down and finds them, and they start explaining themselves, and instead of fessing up, they just start throwing each other under the bus. And you could see just that distance in relationship as sin wreaks havoc in the world, because that's what sin does. Every time sin happens, something dies. That's what we learn from the Bible. And we see a death in the relationship between God and his creation, but we also see a death in the relationship between the creation. But that's not God's dream for us. He, he's willing to roll with that. It's not his dream for us. His dream for us is, yes, to be connected with him, like Adam, and, like Adam was close and intimate with God, but he... Also, his desire for you and me, his dream for you and I, is to be connected with each other in a deep, spiritual, like, intimate way. And I know, like, there's, there's probably, like, more than a few of us that, like, I'm talking about as if Genesis actually happened at this account. And if you resist that, like, I'm really glad you came to church. I'm really glad that you're here. Um, if you resist the validity of Genesis or, like, the actuality of, of Adam and Eve ever being real people, or, or even in a sense, like, if it's supposed to be this archetypal, um, um, like, prescriptive, like, this is the way we should live life, even if you reject all of that or, like, you find the story interesting, but you're like, does it really have bearing for our lives? Here's what's cool, and we'll talk about this in the next couple weeks. As science and psychology go further and further into their studies, the idea and the importance of human connection just gets more and more potent. It's incredible. We're going to talk in a couple weeks about what they're, what they're talking about in neuroscience right now. What happens when you and I have a conversation and we link eyes, then our brains actually start to mimic each other, the brain activity. There's a connection there. And neuroscience, they'll say that's good for us, that that, that provides for something for us physiologically. It's kind of cool. And then, I mean, there's tons and tons of, like, the, the neuroscience is fairly new. Psychology's been talking about this for centuries. The importance of human connection. And, and I'm bringing this up because even if you resist um, what, what the Bible has to say and that, that maybe this is a biblical thing or that this was a foundationally, a fundamentally God thing, you're still going to love this, this series because there's a lot that has, our human connection is extremely important. Psychology has a lot to say about the, the, the importance of human connection. I could use a lot of different um, examples, and I'll, but I want to use one to, to kind of wrap up. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I brought it up before. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is basically there's this pyramid, and at the top, the, the top of the, the pinnacle of the period, the, the pyramid, the pinnacle of human experience is this idea of self-actualization. That, that, that you know who you are and you know what, you know, like you, there's things in life that you can do. And, and, but before that can happen, and this is important for us as parents right, to recognize, right? There's a lot of things that are fundamental before that. 
starting with just simply our, our physical needs, food and water. That's like the, the that's, I should have put it up on here, but I, I didn't. Um, that's the foundation. The second level is this sense of security. And if you're a parent, like this is important. Like we need to, to provide for our kids a sense of home and house and security, of, of physical security. And then the next one above that, in order to, to, to move towards self-actualization in life, is this, 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 pier, this, in the pyramid, it's about halfway up, it's this tier of loving and belonging. That in order for us to actually have fullness in life, to actually enjoy life, to actually be happy and find fulfillment, not only do we have to have food, of course, we die without it, we need to feel safe, but we also need to be loved, and we need to find a place where we belong, where there's friendship, <clears throat> there's intimacy, there's people who know who I am, and I know them, and they love me. You know, they, the more they get to know me, the more they love me. The sense of connection <clears throat> is extremely important, nay, even fundamental to what it means to be human. The idea, and I was thinking about this week, is it's really about, like, like the, so the second tier is security in a place, a physical place. We, all, we need more than just a physical place. We need a relational place. And, and my question for you this morning, kind of ending, is where's that place for you? And, and, and. It's probably worded a little differently because it's not, it's not a, a geographic question, is it? It's a relational question. Who is that place for you? Who are those people who know you? And, and, and what, what, what do you need, what do you know you need to do? Like what, what have you done in the past to cultivate that, to protect that, to keep that? And what do you need to do in the future to, to, to deepen that? That's what we're going to talk about in the next couple weeks. The reason this series is called The Big Three is because we, we feel like, as we were putting this series together, we feel like that happens in three distinct locations. We find intimacy in three different ways in our lives. We find it at home, through our families. We find it through friendship. And we find it through romance. Those are the key three ways. So we call the big three. And in the next three weeks of Gather Church, we're going to kind of just one by one unpack those. I want to encourage you. If you're feeling alone and you have a home, that can be a really hard place to be. We're going to talk about that next week. And even if you, if you have a home and you have a family, but like you don't, there's, there isn't trust, maybe there's bad blood, maybe there's distance, there's hurt, baggage. We'll talk about home and family next week, but here's the deal. God, there's, this is available to us in a number of different ways. These are the main three ways that God works, but just if you, if you don't, if you can't, if you never get married... <laughs> We'll talk about this in the last week. If you never get married, do you know that the intimacy and human connection is, is still, it, it's a huge part of your life. It's, it's a, and there's ways to cultivate it in a fulfilling and meaningful way. But these are the big three that we'll talk about. But is, as we close, my question is, where is your place? Who are your place? Who are your people? 
Um, and is it possible that God wants to bring life to you through those people? Is it possible that if, like, think about it this way, if, if there's things that are lacking in your life right now, there's angst in your life, and maybe you've even prayed about it, like you brought this before the Lord, like, Lord, would you heal me? Is it possible that he, his, his <laughs> because, because one of his favorite ways to bring life to us is through us. Is it possible that he wants to give you direction? He wants to reveal himself. He wants to bring healing. He wants to instill a sense of worth in you. He wants to answer your prayers. Is it possible that what you long for right now the most might be brought to you by the person sitting next to you? And are you open to that? Is it possible that, that he wants to bring that life to you through the people around you? And what would it look like for you to cultivate that and to move that direction? It's his dream for our lives. Let's step into God's dream. It's going to be an interesting discussion. You'll have to bear with me on it. It's, it's something I've thought about for years. I don't feel, it feels above my pay grade to preach on it. Um, but we'll discover together. It'll be good. It'll be good. Let's pray.